0: Welcome to The Rest is Education, where we'll be discussing the hot topics in the world of teaching and learning. This is an educational podcast brought to you by teachers for teachers. I'm Ross Borthwick. I'm a teacher of about 11 years experience and I've worked in prep schools and senior schools in the UK. I've also worked in state primary schools and I've done a few other things which will be cropping up, I'm sure. I'm going to pass you over to David.
1: Hi, I'm David Marshall. I'm a primary school teacher in North London. I've got about 15 years experience in teaching, and I'm also a school governor, just starting as one well in North London as well. Handing over to
2: Aaron. Uh, hey, I'm Aaron Huber, uh, also a teacher of many years, about 10 under my belt. Uh, I've taught in the UK in prep schools, in academies in the US in public schools, and in internationally as well.
0: This week, we're going to be looking at a huge issue, and that is why teachers are leaving the education profession. Now, this is something that Aaron is is particularly passionate about, so I'm I'm just going to hand you straight over to him.
2: Um, yes, Ross. Uh, as you guys know, uh, I'm taking a, uh, a hiatus from teaching at the moment, uh, so I've got firsthand uh, experience in in taking a step away from the classroom. Um, while the reasons I've done it, um, it's, it's a compound reason. There's lots of different aspects that go into it. Um, mainly, uh, mine was, uh, to take care of of my son, but, um, a lot of the issues that we're going to be talking about today fed into, you know, that decision, which is a really difficult decision to, to step away from the classroom for a little while. Um, so I'm not alone. Um, it, this is uh, teachers leaving the profession is a, a growing issue, uh, and that's why we decided to talk about it today. Um, so just to just to define the issue a little bit, uh, at least I'm going to sort of talk about it from the U.S. perspective, and I think you guys are going to give a little bit of the U.K. Uh, perspective on a very similar problems. Um, but at least in the U.S., uh, the the Some of the stats are that 55% of currently employed teachers are seriously considering uh, leaving their jobs at the moment. And the best I can find is 44% of public schools reported uh, teaching vacancies at the start of the year. Um, And there's been about a 3% drop in the teaching workforce in the past year in the United States. So a pretty significant problem. Yeah, thanks, Aaron.
1: And and we're also looking... I mean, we, we really want to ask, why is this such an important topic? Um, it may seem obvious, but I think it's worth saying teachers obviously are key workers, like other professionals, such as doctors, nurses, uh, firemen, police, um, etc. And a shortage of teachers means that pupils without teachers or an increase in teachers with less experience or poorer qualifications. Um, so experience, uh, as we know, over three years makes a really big difference. There's a massive learning curve. After three years, teachers are, you know, can be sort of counted as expert teachers. And before that, you know, not really at all. Um, going back to the US, I've got this interesting data from Matthew Craft from Education Week, which suggests that um, there are more than 163,500 positions filled by teachers in the US who aren't fully certified or who are not certified in the subject area they're teaching. Is this something, um, Ross, Aaron, that you guys are seeing as well in, in, in your areas?
2: Yeah, well, I, I, I came across like some startling or, like kind of scary things that, um, school districts and States are doing to, to deal with this massive teacher shortage. That's like bringing in, uh, Veterans to teach kids, Um, so totally not not trained teachers or college students that haven't completed their their teacher training. Um, And then um, I showed you guys that that sort of hilarious idea from the um, was it Madison, Wisconsin, where they're trying to get substitute teachers to commit to being full time teachers by offering them uh, free calendars and school supplies. As apparently. Uh, that 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 district is so far out of tune with reality that they feel like uh, that that's what people were missing. So so obviously it, it's not calendars that you know the lack
1: of calendars isn't isn't sort of like the problem in teaching. So um, what is the problem? Why are people leaving teaching? And or, or you know should we ask are people leaving teaching more in the US than the UK? Are the parts of the world where. Teaching is still a fully stocked profession, and no one really wants to leave it. Um, do we I mean, have any info on this, Ross?
0: Yeah, so I, I think I think it's um, you know it's certainly not a, a, a modern problem in, in you know it hasn't arisen over the past couple of years it, I'm sure it has uh, continued to to um, become a greater problem there's no doubt of that but when I was training uh, you know about a, a decade or so ago it was it was definitely the case that actually people people training alongside me were were not thinking of then teaching in the UK they were thinking of getting trained and as with other professionals on other professional courses like dentistry and medicine. Veterinary science they were looking at actually going to places like Australia and New Zealand either temporarily or actually for good um and and to sort of anecdotally cite why it would be the lifestyle and I think pain
1: conditions certainly um certainly would be at the forefront of that and the pay is going up so um we do have an increase I believe is it between five and seven percent for teachers Um, from that's come in that the government's brought in so pay is going up for teachers pay I think is being decided for TAs that it's going to rise I'm not sure if it's been determined yet but there's still a problem with that because we've got a cost of living crisis.
0: So the the TA thing is is huge because if you're a teacher in a state maintained school and you've got 30 plus children in, in front of you the quality of, it, of your teaching assistant or sometimes teaching assistant is is actually so key to, to being able to deliver lessons effectively. And, um, of course, teaching assistants often, I think almost always, aren't paid through school holidays. And so there's a fantastic article by the, the um, National Education Union that's just come out in their most recent uh, magazine this autumn and it talks about teaching assistants and and higher level teaching assistants, having to work seventy to eighty hours a week during the school holidays to justify
1: remaining a teaching assistant and so its pay is one obviously huge factor um do we think i mean you said you said ross this isn't a new phenomenon it's not come up over the last two years so it's it's not just the pandemic it's not just a problem with the fact that we've all been online and we've all things have got more stressful possibly with having to sort of do more work it, it's a bigger it's a bit bigger and deeper problem than that as well maybe
0: yeah i think obviously the the covid issue is is certainly uh, exacerbated things and I think we've seen that COVID actually forced a lot of schools to really modernize in terms of the way that people teach and and the the use of technology and that happened very quickly and I think a lot of more um, sort of experienced teachers towards the end of their career found that quite a difficult transition and so a lot that that I'm sort of aware of, just in my practice, uh, took early retirement or, or, or at least um, looked for different roles within the school, whereby they could almost avoid having having as much um, sort of online interaction. Uh, and so I've I've no doubt that contributed.
2: I, is that is
0: that the case in sort of the Caribbean, Aaron, and, and well, America? Do you think?
2: I think beyond that, with those uh, the more experienced teachers, a bigger I mean, there, there. Obviously, the technology uh, being a, a, a challenge. Sometimes, not having adequate training. I think not, none of us had adequate training for that last, yeah. you know, that pivot to to going online. No, definitely all, not. Yeah, we did. We did what we could, right? And and it was difficult. And at, you know, at best, I think we did okay at doing that. Uh, to be honest. But um, there's the health issues, right? A lot of those more experienced teachers were high risk for COVID. And, and when they're asked to go back into the classroom, they're asked to, to put their health at risk in a way they nobody signed up for. Um, yeah. and, and, and in many ways, very unfair to expect people to, to do that. Um,
1: and, and if we're looking at, at uh, we're talking about
2: experienced teachers
1: leaving, it's quite significant because the real i mean for years as well that the as as ross you said it's the high drop off of teachers in the years post qualification that has always been the big and still is the big data point so it's 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 not so much teachers who are experienced have been in the profession 15 20 30 years it's teachers who've been doing it for like one year to three years who feel this is not for me it's too hard or it's it's not right and that's actually the, the, the larger number of teachers who are leaving, I think. So when you have teachers who are more experienced also leaving, that's contributing to this massive teacher shortage, which we've heard a lot about in the media.
2: And, and I think that shows the problem is more probably in, in depth or more advanced than we thought. Or that, you know, teachers within their first five years, you could chalk some of that up to just, you know, any any career. You know, people leave uh, in higher numbers in the first few years and figure out it's not for them there's a big problem in supporting new teachers and training them properly once they get into their placements making sure they're you know they have all the support and coaching and mentoring they need that's pretty much absent and i think in in a majority of cases for new teachers um and then there's the the realities go back to it is, is the pay right when when you're coming out of teacher college with massive debt and you can't um can't really pay it back. You start looking at options of, of how, where do I get my money. And,
1: I, and absolutely. And this is kind of like, the, obviously, the pay is, is huge. But we haven't still not talked about the major one reason why teachers leave the profession. And um, I've got this fairly reliable uh, sort of DFE from 2017 paper, which says that it's the most cited reason ex-teachers give is workload. And we'll talk, we'll, we'll break that down a little bit for what that actually means, but it more than pay, workload seems to be the sort of biggest motivator for teachers to say, no, this is just not for me anymore. I can't hack it. And I think maybe you talked, Aaron, about health reasons to do with the pandemic, but I think we should also perhaps mention health reasons to do with stress and, you know, not Absolutely. being able to get the, the rest and the, the time you need to recover. Because that contributes to people being ill uh,
2: long term off the profession. And, and I, I I could remember plenty of of times when we guys, when we worked together, uh, being in that in that dark, dingy room till you know <laughs> seven eight o'clock at night, looking at each other, thinking, "What what are we doing here?" And there is probably some teachers home. listening that
1: thinking seven eight o'clock. Gosh,
2: I work you know, I worked
1: till uh, eleven o'clock most nights. Uh, you know, there is there is you know, we perhaps maybe even felt we, we maybe had it lucky compared to some. Ross, you wanted to chip in.
0: Yeah, I mean, we did have a cleaner coming around at about 8 o'clock who would bring peach snaps, but that's maybe a different story. Um, But, yeah, I mean, the workload's huge, and I think uh, particularly early off in your career when you haven't actually got any resources built up, um, and and something that we, we haven't discussed so far is now NQTs, so that first year in work, the NQT has, has been reformed and it's now called early career teaching and it is two years long, which sounds sensible in that you're giving someone a, a reduced timetable for, for twice as long, which surely, you know, is beneficial. But of course, without being considered a fully qualified teacher, there are limits to how much you can be paid as well. And so, you know, Aaron, you were talking about uh, debt coming out of teacher training you know, a lot, a lot of people entering any profession will want to climb the rungs as quickly as possible, and, and some will be highly capable uh, and, and very driven. And there's, you know, for, for some, you know, the, this uh, extension of the, the ECT, the early career teacher, uh, will be beneficial. But to a lot of people, they'll see it as a barrier to climbing the rungs of, of the career that they want to be in, and, and that might actually put them off. Oh, have
1: you any thoughts, David? Um, I mean, I'd, maybe a like, disagreement with that is that I don't know if teachers do – the majority of teachers go into the profession to climb the rungs. I think the one big reason is that you – there aren't that many rungs to climb, you know, because there's the pyramid narrows very significantly to, as you get to senior management, and then the pyramid is a pyramid when you get to the top of it, when you get to head, and I, I, my experience in teaching is that you know you, you you're, you're not really there. A lot of people who I'm colleagues with in the past and now just say I'd never want to be in senior management. And again, that comes down to workload and
2: stress. Aaron, and that's like really a, a unique uh, part of the problem. I think is uniquely. Uh, a UK thing, or at least in my experience, is the pay structure. When I when I came to the UK, I was really shocked looking at how teacher pay plateaus after five years. Um, and then you have to, you guys are going to have to refresh my memory, what it's called to get onto the higher pay Threshold. scale. Threshold. Yeah that doesn't exist in the US at least in my experience you know you get paid you get an annual raise based on your experience in the US and it's not it doesn't cap at 5 years which i think really doesn't motivate people doesn't give people the incentive to stay in teaching past that because
0: yeah, it's a problem. And, and that's exactly what we're seeing. So when I started, it was the case that the majority of, of new entrant teachers were leaving the profession within five years. And so if there is no incentive to stay beyond five years without, of course, going through threshold and on to senior management, which not everyone can do, then, you know, why stay? And I think the realization of that for some people, um, you know, if they have certain aspirations, then then that is that is a very real factor. And um, the other thing I wanted to say is that you know how common is that amongst other professions, and and if it isn't common to to let, you know to have that uh, glass ceiling, then uh, you know really could can you call teaching a profession? And we we've used the word profession a lot so far in this
2: episode. Well, additionally, Russ, I, I don't know if you, well, you you would probably know this, uh, David, but as an international teacher, the You could only move 10 years of experience in in what I've found is that you you move from one country to another, they only honor 10 years of experience on your salary scale, which is another thing that does not exist out in the in in the professional world you know they don't look at a lawyer who's got 15 years experience and say no I'm only going to pay you as a as a junior associate or as an associate not a senior associate because we only honor 10 years of your experience and we're going to pretend the rest didn't happen which i that that kind of also blew my mind um, i don't in, in i don't remember that from
1: international but uh yeah i mean it's obviously experience as going back to what I said at the beginning experience over three years you can absolutely become an expert teacher over after three years and teachers generally plateau after that point so the idea of uh, 10 years this arbitrary 10 years experience it feels more like it's a Malcolm Gladwell kind of idea rather than um, anything that's actually related to, to sort of teacher Reality. Um, I just wanted to go back to workload a bit and talk a little bit about one aspect of it, which I think isn't discussed so much, but which I think would be really interesting to talk about, which is autonomy. Um, so there's a really interesting paper by Worth and vandenbrand which came out in 2020, so pre-pandemic research, but still very valuable, which is suggests that the autonomy that teachers have within a school, um, if they have high autonomy, it means they're more likely to stay. If they have low autonomy, they say within the next year, quite a lot say they would leave. Um, And what we could define autonomy on is is how much control you have over what the school does. So it could be things like planning, school development plan, behaviour sanctions, uh, career professional development, that kind of thing. What's really interesting about this, I find for the UK, is that this study specifically mentions um, academies. Now, for those who don't know, the UK for the last 20 years has been on an academy building program. All schools, um, maintained schools are supposed to become academies in the next sort of few years. And academies tend to group together in multi-academy trusts. And there have been increasingly large numbers of multi-academy trusts with several schools, some as much big as 26 schools in one uh, mat. They're called multi-academy trusts. So what this study says about autonomy is that When you have a multi-academy trust with more than 10 schools, the autonomy for individual teachers in those schools drops significantly. And if we're seeing a trend towards towards, academies as the main form of education in this country, we're looking at lots and lots of teachers who have less and less control on their schools, who feel less that it's a local school, more like it's part of this big organisation with a headquarters in London, and they feel very dissociated from being able to decide what do I teach, how do I manage behavior you know what how am I going to learn to be a better teacher and and that 's a big reason why teachers are considering leaving that's, I mean that is fascinating because we
0: we 've known for a long time that organizations the the size of an organization and, and how uh, I suppose how effective it is um, is is linked to the, the. You've probably heard of this. The Dunbar number. Have you heard of that? So, like having having personal relationships, and of course in education that that's huge. So the Dunbar number is set at one hundred and fifty. And so if you're in an organisation where you have to have a personal interaction, i.e. teach more than one hundred and fifty people face to face, then then that is actually not. Uh, you know, not going to be a, a positive interaction with all of those people, you know, you're just not going to be able to manage it. And so the bigger the organization, the more that's compounded. And I've, I find, I know you're talking about workload, but I'm, I'm sort of seeing it from the social perspective of if you're a member of a team, which is, is colossal, then then you're going to feel like a number rather than a member of the team. Um, but, yeah, the, the workload, I, I, I completely get it. And,
1: and by workload, yeah, I mean the autonomy isn't workload. They're slightly different things. But the, this uh, study has a chart which shows that work workload is more manageable uh, where the autonomy is higher. In other words, teachers are able to manage their workload because they can make choices about what to prioritize and how to plan, how to mark.
2: And, yeah. and, you're, and you're teaching things you enjoy and you're teaching in a way you enjoy as opposed to some prescribed script or, you know, something that, that just makes you feel like a, like a cog or a drone, right? Which is no one went into teaching to, to, to do that. Um, well, I know yeah. you going to it, find it, someone who did.
1: And I, I honestly, I feel like there isn't time in this, in this podcast, podcast episode to talk about how much I thought to have about multi-academy trusts and the effect this has on, who they're employing and how it affects the teaching and what they are doing. And I have a lot of sympathy for what it is as well and a lot of a lot of support for it. But I also feel there's a lot of things there that are just exactly as you say, Ross, are perhaps breaking that, um, have threatened to break down that kind of real social link that we know relationships are such an important thing between colleagues, between students and between students and, and staff.
2: Sorry, Aaron. I think that could be just sort of under the, Uh, the the thing we kind of talked about off off the mic but uh, how valued teaching is as a profession in a a society and that's a symptom of of it not being of the teacher not being valued as a professional is if the the, everything they do is controlled and there's very little trust in in them so you know how how good or how much can you can you value or respect a, a, a training program if you don't respect the people that come out of it to make the right decisions
0: so i'm I'm thinking here of the the elephant in the room, which is you know we've already discussed it on our gamification episode, but all of these um, uh, apps and and websites that are, are being incorporated into mainstream education almost in lieu of teacher autonomy. and And we're seeing more and more now that teachers are more or less facilitators of a predefined scheme of work and and they don't necessarily have an awful lot of input as to to the you know the specifics that they're teaching in a particular lesson um which i think you know goes back to what we were saying about uh
1: retention and and you know ownership and and autonomy And and there's a good reason for that and i think and i think putting this in context i agree with what you're saying about that but but if we have if we're struggling to to retain teachers which is a national problem is obviously an international problem the us as well and if we are got if we've got inexperienced teachers having these apps having a, a predefined structure is actually really valuable for a school and so um you know it's it's a very good thing to have something which a teacher who's very inexperienced as you said is going through those two-year program to just put that into their hand this booklet that sort of does everything they need to do and they can learn from that but so there's some really good things about though. that it's a right. mandate but it's a necessary mandate no, no you it's you a it's a band-aid oh i'm sorry it's a it's
2: a it's it's a it's a quick fix for a problem that the the system is is creating it is it's not fix. it's it's not solving no. the systematic problem. No, it's so. it's a solution.
0: Yeah, for so the British audience, uh, Aaron's referring to a plaster. <laughs> um, so no, I think I think uh, it, it then of course bleeds into the much bigger argument, right? That we're we're very interested in, and that that is of course the purpose of education in the first place. And so if we're saying that actually it's the delivery of a curriculum, full stop. Mm. then I'm not sure a human being is the most effective means to deliver that. So that
1: we are, we're, we're you talking know, we you
0: know, yeah. But if we're talking about how it's delivered and, and the, the rapport, which you build and the life lessons and the skills and, and actually the soft skills too, uh, and actually the excitement that you can inject into a particular subject by a passionate teacher of that subject, then I'm not sure an app is ever going to be able to replace that.
2: No, no one remembers their favorite textbook or their favorite, you know, know, their favorite activity as a student. You remember your favorite teacher and how that teacher made you feel or, you know, how excited that teacher got you. Not, not that, that scripts or that, that learning program they put us through was so amazing that you remember the teacher. Yeah. And I think uh, politicians don't quite understand that. So, talking of politicians, I, I just
1: want to bring in—not talking. Well, I'm maybe talking about what what the system in the UK is. But um, one of my closest friends left education uh, this year. Um, he, hey, thank you, David. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> and, oh my god. And he, I mean, like, I mean, he's a, he was a head. And he's uh, he's had some health difficulties. And recently he's also like, you guys um, just had a, his uh, wife's just had a baby. And I think what I, I sort of, so I chatted him over summer and this is not a a light decision for him. I'm I'm sure it's the same for you, Aaron, but I, I've always thought of him as the one friend who's just a teacher, you know, he was, he was, it was like he was born to be a teacher. So for him to leave education, for him to stop being ahead as well seemed such a big deal and I know that heads have been under the most pressure than anybody over the pandemic period there's there's good evidence for that but I still kind of thought what you know what's causing to leave education and I completely understand his decision but um, and he just said uh, it's it's Ofsted and um, Ofsted being the UK inspection sort of uh, organization which goes in to inspect schools and he said it, 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 ofsted and everything that goes with it the bureaucracy he said he loves this his his staff he loves his pupils obviously he loves being ahead and all of those things but the the difficulty is that it's very very hard to continue to be um in the world of education the world of mainstream education which i know we three are not at the moment um and and, you know, not get worn down by that, particularly if you have things in life which, which sort of come up, which we all do, which make it difficult to continue in that world. And I, I think that's maybe worth just mentioning. I know it's not on any of the, the research we're looking at, but I'm pretty sure that if we asked quite a lot of teachers, we'd find that, you know, the demoralizing effect of someone coming in to assess your education that you've been working so hard to, to, to do and saying, you know, this or that isn't right
2: and, and those those evaluation methods are, I, I mean, I found they vary, yeah. obviously, depending on where you are, but the ones I was dealing with in the U.S. are so formulaic um, in the way that, you know, the, the administrator comes in. It's that they, Very little is left to their opinion. It's just this tick box of have you done this, this and this. And you can almost hack the system to get a good uh, review, but it means nothing. Uh, in terms of your quality of teaching,
0: so I think maybe we we should think about wrapping up. Um, obviously, this this bias very nature has been a sort of a negative episode in, in terms of the the vibes we're throwing out. But um, we do have some light at the end of the tunnel in that our next episode is going to be on why teachers are staying in the profession. Now, I do I do just want to mention that the reason we're having this discussion is because more more now than a decade ago. It seems like teachers are leaving the profession, junior teachers, but but perhaps now more than previously, more experienced teachers, which we mentioned earlier on in the episode. And so, uh, you know, if the wedge is getting attacked from from both ends, then it's, um, you know, it's something we need to address. But uh,
1: let's come up with some solutions in our next episode. Can I slip something in? I know that's really annoying. You've just done a lovely sum up there, Ross, and it sounded so, so perfect, but can I just slip in it? Cause I, I, there is something that I know nothing about, but, um, you both uh, might be able to sort of help with this. Uh, but in terms of sort of, um, we're both three guys chatting about education. Um, is it a big factor in, in women leaving education, um, maternity? And then do you think perhaps, Uh, not coming back after maternity or obviously going on to lesser pay. If you come back part time, this is something I've noticed with a lot of my friends who've gone on maternity and then have come back in sort of two days a week. So therefore we're talking about going up the ranks and kind of becoming senior managers. That really is a huge sort of stoppage at that point. Now I know that I'm opening up a huge can of worms, a bigger conversation about uh, this, but I just, I, I had, I wondered if you, you have any thoughts on this.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I was literally having this discussion last night with a, a group of new dads from from my NCT group. Um, so, Aaron, for, for the American audience, it's a, a, basically before you, before your partner gives birth, you have a series of lessons and it's it's optional, but it's quite common. And And so there are like eight couples effectively in, a, in a, an NCT group and we had um, just a, a meet at a social last night and the discussion was very much about pay post-maternity leave and there are a number of teachers, teaching assistants and it seems like everyone is currently running the figures and it doesn't seem very, very sensible to go back to work, at least not full-time because the cost of childcare for the hours that we work doesn't quite that, add up.
2: So that's, uh, you know, one of the major, major factors why I'm sitting on the sidelines this year is, uh, if you subtract childcare from my, my salary it just didn't make a lot of sense.
1: I feel that really brings it back full circle to where we started, Aaron, which is you telling us that, you know, you've left teaching at the moment and, um, I think this very this has been a very personal episode that we, we we've obviously got strong feelings about it and feel very sort of like similarly about it. Maybe is there a chance that we we should come back and talk about uh, childcare and uh, nurseries and uh, the sort of provision perhaps here in the UK and abroad? That's something a lot of my friends are talking about. Um, uh, maybe that's a future episode.
0: I'd, I'd love to talk about those things and I think the market is uh, well, a bit like um, primary, a bit like secondary education. The market of what is available is quite complex
1: and I, it's certainly worth a discussion. It seems yeah, like this sure. uh, feeds right into it. Well, look, should we end that episode there and um, come back with our, as you say, Ross, more positive take on why are <laughs> teachers staying? Why would anyone stay in this profession? Two thirds of us are still in. <laughs> Let's do <talk about> Why?
0: <laughs> for, for now. Okay. For now. Guys, it's been great chatting. And, um it. Yeah. See you next time. You've been listening to The Rest is Education. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts at The Rest is Education.
1: Or you can email us at TheRest is Education at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram or Twitter.